everybody, and welcome to the first official episode of American Writers. Today's episode is all about Lizzie Borden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you probably have heard the rhyme surrounding her murders. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When he saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. So let's hop right into it. Um, the story started in Fall River, Massachusetts in the year of 1892. On August 3rd, Lizzie Borden's uncle, John Morse, arrived and stayed in their spare bedroom with Lizzie, her sister Emma, her father Andrew, her stepmother Abby, and their maid, Bridget, or Maggie, as witnesses. Morse left the house at around 8.48 a.m. and the next day to buy a pair of oxen and visit his other niece in Fall River. Andrew then left for his morning walk at around 9 a.m. Um, so we're going to now talk about their maid, Bridget, also known as Maggie. There's not much information on her. We know that she was born February 3rd, 1871 in Ireland. After then she proceeded to work for the Bordens until the murders happened when she then moved to Anaconda, Montana and got married. She also died in Montana. There's not much more information than that. The reason I said her name was Maggie is because Lizzie and her sister Emma's last maid was named Maggie and they didn't want to change maids so they just kept the name so pretty pretty good people i guess but <laughs> back to the moiter so andrew left for his morning walk at about 9 a.m abby went upstairs to clean the spare bedroom that john stayed in even though cleaning the spare room was lizzie and emma's job according to their forensics reports abby was facing her killer when she was struck she was hit in the side of the head with a hatchet and was struck just under the ear. The hit made her fall face first onto the floor, which injured her forehead and nose. Her killer then struck her 17 times on the back of the head, ultimately ending her life. Andrew got home at around 10.30, his key failing to open the door. He knocked to get the attention of a family member. Maggie went to, the, to open the door when she noted that it was jammed shut. Little sus. <laughs> she would also later state that she did not see Lizzie, but she could hear her laughing from upstairs. Um, Lizzie later denied that she was upstairs, little sus, um, as that anyone upstairs could have seen Abby's body. She then stated that she helped Andrew out of his boots and into his slippers so he could lay on the sofa for a nap, which in the crime scene photos is, contra is contradicted as he was wearing his boots still. She then told Maggie to go to the department store for there was a sale, but Maggie stayed home because she wasn't feeling well. Maggie later reported that she was in her room on the third floor when she heard Lizzie call from downstairs, Maggie, come quick, father's dead, someone came and killed him. Andrew was slumped on the couch, being struck 10 to 11 times in the head by a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyeballs was split clearly into two, suggesting that he was still asleep during the murder. That was not... We don't know. <laughs> his still bleeding wound suggested a very recent attack. Detectives believe his attack to be approximately 11 o'clock. Lizzie's uh, first few testimonies were very contradicting, stating at first hearing groans and scraping before entering the house, while other times saying she heard nothing before entering. Some officers who interviewed her saying she was alarmingly calm and poised, a little sus. In the basement, police found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. The hatchet head was suspected 
to be uh, was suspected of being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh and the ash and dust on the head unlike the other bladed tools appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look as if it had been in the basement for some time however none of these tools were removed from the house don't know why again little sus um because of the mysterious illness that had stricken stricken struck the household before the murders the family's milk and andrew and abby's stomachs were removed during autopsies performed in the board and dining room were tested for poison and none was found residents suspected lizzie of purchasing hydrocyanic acid in a diluted form from the local drugstore sorry if i completely messed that up don't not very good with pronunciation (laughs) Um, she defended that she inquired about the acid so she could clean her furs, despite the local uh, medical examiner's testimony that it did not have antiseptic properties. Lizzie and Emma's friend Alice Russell stayed, um, decided to stay with them the night following the murders while Morse spent the night in the guest attic room, contrary to later accounts that he slept in the murder site guest room. Police were stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, during which an officer said he had seen Borden enter the cellar with Russell, carrying a kerosene lamp and a slop pail. He stated he saw both women exit the cellar, after which Borden returned alone, though it was he was unable to see what she was doing. He stated it appeared she was bent over the sink. On August 5th, Morse left the house and was mobbed by hundreds of people. Police had to escort him back into the house. On August 6th, police conducted a more thorough search of the house, inspecting the sisters' clothing and confiscating the broken-handled hatchet head. That evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect of the murders. The next morning, Russell entered the kitchen to find Borden tearing up a dress. (laughs) She explained that she was planning to put it on fire because it was covered in paint. It was never determined whether the dress she had uh, whether it was the dress she had been wearing on the day of the murders. Borden appeared at her hearing on August 8th. Her request to have her family attorney present was denied under a state uh statute statute that's the word boom statute um providing that an inquest must be held in private. She had been prescribed a regular dose of m- regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves, and it is possible that her testimony was much affected by this. Her behavior was eccentric, and she often refused to answer a question even if the answer would be beneficial to her. She often contradicted contradicted herself and provided alternating, alternating accounts of the morning in question, such as saying she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, then saying she was in the dining room doing some ironing, and then saying she was coming down the stairs. She also said she removed her father's boots and put slippers on him while police, while police photographs clearly showed he, him wearing boots. The district attorney was very aggressive and confront, confrontational. On August 11th, Borden was served with a warrant of arrest and jailed. Thrown in there. Um, the testimony, the basis for the modern debate regarding her guilt or innocence, was later ruled inadmissible at her trial in June 1893, so years later. Um, newspaper articles noted that Borden possessed a 
de- a stolid demeanor and bit her lips, flushed, and bent toward Attorney Adams. It was also reported that the testimony provided in the inquest had ch- caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. The inquest received significant, significant press attention nationwide. Borden's trial took place in New Bedford starting on June 5th, 1893. Prosecuting attorneys were Jose M. Knowlton and future United States Supreme Court Justice William H. Moody. Defending were Andrew V. Jennings, Melvin O. Adams, and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson. Five days before the trial's commencement on June 1st, another axe murder occurred in Fall River. Little sauce. Um, the similarities. Nope, sorry. This time, the p- victim was Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and Borden's murder were striking and noted by jurors. However, Jose Coria de Mello, a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester's murder in nineteen in eighteen ninety four and was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. A big point of discussion in the trial, um, or press coverage of it, was that the hatchet head found in the basement, which was not convincingly demonstrated by the prosecution to be the murder weapon. Prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood. I, True true um one officer testified that a hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head but another officer contradicted this though no bloody clothing was found at the scene russell testified that on august 8th 1892 she had witnessed borden burn a dress in the kitchen stove saying it had been ruined when she brushed against a wet paint during the course of the trial defense never attempted to challenge this statement Borden's presence at the home was also a point of dispute during the trial. According to a testimony, Sullivan entered the second floor of the home at around 10.58 a.m. and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people at this t- that at this time she went into the barn and was not in the house for 20 minutes or possibly a half an hour. Um, Hyman Lubinsky testified for the defense that he saw Lizzie Borden leaving the barn at 11.03 a.m. and Charles Gardner confirmed the time. At 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Sullivan downstairs, told her Andrew had been murdered, and ordered her not to enter the room. Instead, Borden sent her to get a doctor. Both victims' heads had been removed during autopsies, and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June 5th at her trial. Obvious. Um, <laughs> upon seeing them in the courtroom, Borden fainted. Evidence was excluded that Borden had sought to purchase prussic acid, um, hydrogen cyanide um, for cleaning a seal, a seal skin cloak from a local druggist on the day before the murders. The judge ruled that the incident was too remote in time to have any connection. Boy, was he wrong. Maybe. We don't know. Um, the presiding associate justice Justin Dewey, who had been appointed by Robinson when he was governor, delivered a lengthy summary that supported the defense as his charge to the jury before it was sent to deliberate on June 20th, 
1893. The date is in there a lot. <laughs> After an hour and a half of deliberation, the journey the jury acquitted Borden of the murders. Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters that she was the happiest woman in the world. The trial has been compared to the later trials of Bruno Hauptmann, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, and O.J. Simpson as a landmark in publicity and public interest in the history of American legal proceedings. There you go. So, if you guys have any theories, like, who did the murder, who actually murdered them, um, tell me. I'll, I will, I will use them. Um, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next episode. I will be uploading on every month. Thank you. Bye.